Um, there's only one miracle in the Bible that Jesus performed that shows up in all four of the Gospels. There's only one. Does anybody know which one it is? No, not that one. Feeding the 5,000, that's right. And that's what we're going to be this morning. Jesus feeds the multitudes. So if you've been in this church uh, since the beginning, we've studied this passage at least three times because we've been through the other Gospels. So uh, we're going to study it again. And it's in there that many times for a reason. I think it must be extremely important if God, by His Spirit, inspired the Word and made sure that each of the four Gospel writers included this specific story. And so it's in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. This is God's Word. It says, um, and we're actually going to start just a couple of verses before that story because we didn't pick these up last week. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Now, pause briefly and just tell you, I think Luke tells us about Herod at this point to let us know that the ministry of Jesus is beginning to gain attention. People are beginning to notice, uh, and now it's, it's made it all the way to the top. Um, the most important uh, person in the Jewish world, essentially, has now heard of Jesus. News about him is spread. And Luke shows us that people are beginning to debate his true identity. Who really is Jesus of Nazareth? But by the end of chapter 9, the disciples will know who Jesus is. And so that's where the story is going. He's not just their rabbi. He's something more than that. So let's pick back up in verse 10. It says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets 
of broken pieces. <clears throat> All right, so that's the story. Experts say that about 15 people die somewhere in the world every minute because of hunger-related illnesses. And if that's true, then almost 8 million people a year die from not having enough food. And yet, ironically, there are far more deaths each year, each minute, linked to people having too much food to eat. In fact, one and a half billion people around the world are considered medically unhealthy because of their eating habits. Now, I'm saying this to a group of Americans to make us intentionally uncomfortable for a reason. Because if you're going to understand this text that God put in the Bible four times, you have to understand hunger. What does it feel like to be hungry? And for most of us, we have not felt hunger for any significant period of time unless we're fasting or doing something on purpose, right? Um, but most of us probably don't know the feeling of going several meals without eating because you just couldn't. It wasn't available to you. And maybe you didn't know when it was going to be available again. But many, many people in the world do know that feeling. And so for us, we're going to have to imagine this morning that feeling of hunger, that, that pain in your belly that you just cannot satisfy because this text is about hunger. There's a large crowd following Jesus. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus had been teaching them all day and that He had compassion on them because they were hungry. More compassion, apparently, than the disciples who were telling Jesus to just send them away. <laughs> Tell them to go get some food somewhere, right? Jesus says, no, you do it. You take care of this need. But they recognize the problem is that there are too many people to feed. It is physically impossible for us to feed a crowd of this size, some people size. Some people say that there were as many as twenty thousand people because Luke only mentions the men. And so the need is too great. Their resources are too small. But so often, that is where God wants us. He wants us to feel hungry. Things taste better when you're hungry, right? Have you ever noticed that? If you've ever fasted, if you've skipped a couple of meals for some reason, either for spiritual reasons or maybe you're having surgery or having some test done, right? 
and you have to skip a couple of meals, and when you finally eat, it's glorious, isn't it? It's like, it could be a peanut butter sandwich, it's the best peanut butter sandwich you've ever tasted. It's funny how that works. And I think that's why God sometimes wants us to be hungry. And I don't just mean physically hungry, but spiritually hungry even. He wants us to to know that we need something that we can't just go get for ourselves. This has always been God's way. Think of the Israelites traveling through the wilderness. How did God provide for them when they ran out of food? He rained bread down from the sky. They could do nothing to feed themselves. And so God just dropped it from the sky. The point of the wilderness was to break them, to make them more dependent on God. And so God kept roughly 3 million people alive for 40 years by miraculously providing bread. And yet, even though they saw that miracle every day, they grumbled and they complained because they wanted something more. And the crowds following Jesus wanted something more as well. They wanted Jesus to keep performing miracles for them. They wanted comfortable lives. They didn't really want Jesus, which we will learn as we continue studying the Gospel of Luke. And yet Jesus had compassion on them. He feeds them anyway, knowing that their motivation for following Him is off. He still feeds them. And He doesn't just give them like a slice of bread. He goes beyond the need. He goes beyond what would have been sufficient. He provides more than enough to satisfy them until they wanted no more. In the last verse, Luke stresses that they had eaten their fill. Something that many of them may not have done in a while. But in meeting this need, Jesus exposes really a deeper spiritual need. And it may be difficult to see just in the story, but if you go especially to the Gospel of John, he makes the connection plain because right after this, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. The point being that we as humans are choosing to fill ourselves up with something that will never really satisfy us. And not only that, God won't let us be content with other things. And I think this is a fairly simple application for us to just kind of ask ourselves, What am I trying to fill my soul with that will not satisfy me? 
What is it that seems to work for a little while, but then leaves me feeling empty? What might I be trying to self-medicate with? And I would just ask you, is it working? Is it working? Do you really feel better? I'm guessing not. And the truth is, God won't let us be satisfied with those things. Listen to what Isaiah 29 verse 8 says. It says, As when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched, so shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. So you see why I told you, you, we have to at least think about what it might feel like to be hungry to understand what Jesus is actually teaching us here. It's like waking up, having dreamed that you were eating, and then to find out that you're still hungry. Is what everything else does to us. But the good news, of course, is this. Jesus delights to feed hungry people. Even people who don't really get it. He invites us to come to Him and to be fed. To admit our hunger and to find that He's more than enough. This, of course, would be a great time to talk about the Lord's Supper. And if I would planned a little better, we would have done this last Sunday so that we could then experience the Lord's Supper together. But just remember back to last week or the last time you took the Lord's Supper. Later on in the ministry of Jesus, He's going to look at the people, at the crowds, and He's going to tell them, if you want the kingdom, you are going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a lot of people quit following Jesus that day after he said that because they misunderstood him for obvious reasons, right? That sounds gross. And yet Jesus said it like that on purpose, knowing that it would offend people, knowing that people would walk away, Because what he's trying to communicate to them is that entrance into the kingdom of God means radical separation from the things of this world and radical union with Him. Jesus meant that we must be united to Him to be saved. We must receive Him and He must become one with us in spirit. He intends to break our dependence on everything else which means daily resting in and remembering that Jesus Christ has given Himself for us that we can be satisfied in Him. He has satisfied all the spiritual sickness and death that plagues our lives, and one day He promises that He will return and He will eliminate physical hunger and sickness and death once and for all. 
There's one more beautiful thing about this text that I want us to see. It's that Jesus lets us help. He lets the disciples handle the bread. In all of this, Jesus is actually very concerned with training his disciples. Right? We've talked about this already many times. Jesus allows them to help with things. He just last week sent them out on a mission trip to the community to knock on doors. And, right? We talked about that. And now there's a crowd following Jesus and Each of the Gospels makes some mention of the fact that the disciples were asked to help. He lets them pass out the bread. He lets them collect the leftovers. He lets them handle it. And He lets us handle it too. Right? If we're His disciples, then we also have a role to play in the kingdom. We are not the ones who create something out of nothing. That's that's God's work, right? He does the miracle. Only God can do that. Only God can save people. Only God can satisfy people. There's no magic formula for us to use that's going to get somebody into the kingdom. But Jesus has given us His Word, and He's given us the message of the Gospel. He's given us the church community. He's instructed us to to handle His Word, to speak it, to live it, to, to use it, to feed others even as we eat with them. Martin Luther once said that we are all just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. And so if you're hungry and, and somebody feeds you and then you know that they have an abundance of food, and you know that there are other hungry people nearby, what will you do? You'll spread the word, right? And that's, that's our calling. That's why Christians exist. We are the ones who get to tell people that, hey, guess what? This is not good news. I think you already know it. You're dying of starvation. But what you don't realize is that you're sitting in the middle of a grocery store with your eyes closed. But for us to do that, we have to understand that that we are no different from the people that we are trying to reach except for the grace of God. There's also no reason for us to be stingy or to hold on to the message for ourselves because Jesus shows that there, there really is an abundance of grace. No one in this crowd had to worry about there being enough. He made it obvious there was more than enough. Twelve baskets left over after feeding thousands of people. Never runs out. Don't hold on to it. It's never going to run out. Something else that we learned from the example of Jesus is that sometimes we have to care about the person's felt need before we can convince them of their spiritual need. And Jesus does this very often. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that we should care about people's actual hunger 
and things like that. That actually does matter to God, that people are hungry, that they need things. As we see that people have needs as the church, we should attempt to show them the love of Jesus before we tell them about the love of Jesus. Look for ways to care about our neighbors. And this is important, right? We've been given more than a ministry of word. This is also a ministry of deed. It's a ministry of action. And yet we can never lose sight of that deeper spiritual need if all the church did was meet physical needs, though those are good things to do, to provide temporary relief for people to show that we care. We should do that, but we still die, right? People are still going to be hungry again. And so the only thing that really leads to eternal relief is the gospel. We have to give people the good news. We have to share the faith with them or else they're just going to be hungry again. So I want to end by saying this. If you're hungry this morning, um, and of course I mean that metaphorically. We just ate donuts. But um, spiritually, right, if you feel that there's something missing, right, however you might describe that for yourself. But if, if any of this, if any of this is speaking to you on some level, I hope you know that Jesus does care about your circumstances. He sees you. He knows what you're feeling. Is it possible... Is it possible that He wants you to feel hungry? That He wants you to feel that something is missing? That He has maybe sent you into the wilderness so that you will feel a need and know that you have literally nothing to satisfy it on your own. That He's going to have to rain it down from heaven. And that if you're there and you feel that emptiness, you're supposed to. You're supposed to come to the end of yourself. Sharing the gospel with people, I often see a look. And it's hard to describe it, but it's, it's almost like this look of stunned disbelief. It's usually not excitement. It's usually more of like a that sounds too good to be true kind of look. Wouldn't it be nice if what you were saying is true? It's a look of someone searching to figure out what they're supposed to do to get right with God. But the response that God wants from us is not, how can I pay for this bread? Because this just isn't how this works, right? It's the response of someone who is starving, right? This is what God actually wants to see in us, is this look of someone who is starving 
who just found a feast with a sign that says free food. What do they do? They dive in face first. So my encouragement to you this morning, brothers and sisters, um, humans, don't sit there in skeptical, stunned disbelief. Admit that you are hungry for God. Take and eat. Call on the name of Jesus and He will fill your soul. Let's pray. Our gracious Savior, we thank You that we have a living hope that You are alive and that right now before the throne of God above we have a strong and perfect plea that You are interceding for us. You are praying for us. You, you know exactly what we're feeling. You know exactly the barriers that exist. The past hurts. The present struggles. You see it all. We thank You that You see us. Father, I pray that You would help us to find You to be enough because You are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.